Well, happy Mother's Day. I don't have a Mother's Day message per se, but we're going to work mom into this. We're, we're, we're going we're to work this thing. Um, hey, we're in week five of our series, The Spirit. Um, kind of in preparation for Pentecost, um, May 23rd this year, a couple weeks now. Um, answering again the overarching question, how did Christianity grow so quickly when a lot of the other world religions didn't? And how did Christianity spread so quickly and so far when many of the other world religions really haven't? And the answer we find out is the Holy Spirit, right? Every step of the way, demonstrating, illuminating, encouraging, reminding, all for one reason, one purpose, so that we would have courage to share Jesus with our neighbors. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the purpose behind, it, behind all of it. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm watching, I'm a pastor, I, I read church news. I, I know you guys don't necessarily, I, I tell Diane sometimes, and not a clue, I, it's just because of the stuff pastors read. And, and every once in a while, something that makes the news in the church world crosses over into like the rest of our worlds. Um, something big in the Christian world becomes somehow big news in the secular world. And there's, there's right now, there's a whole lot of news out about famous people denouncing their faith, um, deciding I'm not a Christian anymore. Um, the Bible calls them apostate, right? They've fallen away, fallen away from the faith. Um, and, and usually when, when, it, when, it's, when it's this and it makes it really big in the secular world, more often than not, it, it puts Christianity in a bad light. Like there's not many things that the news outlets will, will make a big deal about um, when there are good news about the Christian world. But yeah, it seems like they tend to jump on this bad news. Um, and recently, I'll just name off three of them. I don't want to bag on these people. Josh Harris um, wrote a book, I, dated, date, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I didn't think that was in the 90s. Um, he's denounced. I don't know at what level. John Steingart, any of you guys listen to Hawk Nelson, the, the Christian rock band? Yeah, I didn't think so. Anyway, same thing. Uh, Paul Maxwell, maybe he's a writer for DesiringGod.com. Some of you guys might follow him on, on the internet. Um, and what's crazy is it's always reported the angle that the writer takes every time somebody famous in the church world falls away. Um, they always make it sound like, okay, this is the beginning of the end of Christianity, right? These really smart, brilliant stage people have finally figured it out. And this is the beginning of the, of the end. And I think it's kind of funny because it's, it's nothing new. Like, this is really, really old stuff, people falling away from Christ. Like, this is so old, this is like from, like, biblical days old. I mean, nothing new. This is a letter Paul wrote to his buddy. We were just talking about him earlier. Well, Doug was talking about him. Uh, Timothy. He's a younger guy, uh, t uh, Paul's protege, kind of Paul's instructing him. But he writes a couple letters to Timothy. We have them as First and Second Timothy. In his second letter, verse chapter 4, it says this, um, Do your best to come to me quickly, for Damas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And as you read through the rest of Paul's letters, you find out that that's not the only guy. There, there were a lot of people in his planting churches and traveling that, that, that worked alongside him and then fell away. In fact, there's one, we all know him very well, his name's John Mark. Right at the very beginning, he got, we don't know what happened. I've read a couple places, maybe he got sick um, and wouldn't go on, and Paul kind of got upset and wouldn't travel with him. Well, the guy goes on and writes one of the Gospels, and, and later on we find out that him and Paul become, in fact, in this passage right here, if you continue reading, he, he talks about Mark. Um, Mark hasn't left him. Mark becomes very, 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 very important. Um, again, I, I think the bigger news 
that sometimes, you know, it's, it's announced in the news, but it feels like it gets quickly buried, are the miracle stories of people finding faith, not the kind of boring stories of people walking away from their faith, right? It's just not, nothing much to that. Um, but, but the miracle stories of finding faith against crazy insurmountable odds, at least in human terms, insurmountable odds. But as we're going to find out, and as many people have witnessed throughout the last couple thousand years, what is insurmountable in our view with God? Not so much. Not so much. We're going to see that play out before our very eyes um, this morning. Um, again, finding faith, these miracle stories, when, when everyone but a, but a really good mother has given up on somebody. Um, again, many times these miracle stories of finding faith are far more newsworthy simply because they're, they're just stranger than fiction. Let me show you a picture of some, not their buddies of mine, but... Um, let me just tell you about some of these people. These, 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 guys, these guys all had a mom. Y'all understand that, right? right? And, and they all at some point said, Happy Mother's Day, and mom went, <laughs> um, Guy in the bottom, bottom, I'm going to go clockwise, starting at the bottom, Alice Cooper. Many of you guys might not know him. He was a rocker in the early, late 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I think he's still, I think he's still going. Um, he found Christ. He met Jesus. He runs these youth centers for troubled, at-risk kids, right, in a bunch of inner cities, you look at him, you're going, no way. <laughs> Whoever went and told him about Jesus, they just must have, uh, I don't know, they must have just been filled with the Holy Spirit because, well, it happened. And then you go clockwise, Brian Welch uh, from the band Corn. A lot of you might not be aware of that band. You look at that band and you think, whoo-wee, <laughs> how far can you get from God? And moms, just play a little game with me here. Guy in the upper left shows up on your front door, and your daughter says, Hey, Mom, go open the door and let my date in. <laughs> How many of you are going to shut the door before he comes in? <laughs> it's like, Whoa, he found Jesus, though. Brian Welch found Jesus. He's a follower of Christ now. Don't look at somebody ever and think, Nah. Next guy, Lee Strobel, you might know a little bit more about him, Case for Christ. He was an agnostic at best, and his wife went and found Jesus, and he got upset and said, I'm going to prove that Jesus doesn't exist. So he goes, and he's a, he's a, a journalist, so investigative reporter. He does all the investigation work and finds out, lo and behold, he met Jesus. <laughs> Everything changed. He met Jesus. And then the last guy, Francis Collins, brilliant young doctoral student in genetics, hardcore atheist. He found Jesus. It changed everything. He's the director of the Genome Project. Like, he's really smart. He found Jesus. Changed everything. Changed everything. And I, I haven't put a picture up there. Um, I just couldn't find one worthy. Gary Busey. You've all, you've all heard of Gary Busey, like the Hollywood crazy party guy. Well, he, he found Jesus. Now, I don't know who it was that shared Jesus with him, but I'm sure they were like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is a waste of time because Gary Busey's a nut, right? Mm -hmm. But he found Jesus, and we, he invited, we invited him to our church, my church in, in, in California. And, and we ne we, to this day, I don't think more people have accepted Christ than on the day that that man spoke because he had some energy. He had conviction. Like, you know who he is. Like, and and he, he scared people, I think, down to the altar straight up. Um, and we, we had Smokey Robinson, right, ends up in a Bible study with our worship pastor, and I get to introduce him. That's me. Yeah, I, I had hair once. Yeah, right. See, Smokey Robinson is sitting in the background going, what's this guy doing in shorts? What a fool. Anyway, let's sit California preaching. Um, 
And I got to introduce him as a Christian man, not as a worship artist, but as a Christian man because he found Jesus. But probably the most famous decidedly, emphatically, violently non-Christian, and I'm guessing there's a lot of them, but biblically speaking, there's a big one, right? We all know him as Saul, uh, God's special 13th apostle, also known by his Hebrew name, Saul, Paul. Paul's the Greek name. Saul's his Hebrew name. Um, His incredible conversion story is told in the context of three other men we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at two of them, and we're going to look at a third one um, next week. These three guys, Stephen, Philip, and Cornelius. So today I'm going to look at Stephen and Philip and Saul because their stories are so intertwined. And actually Cornelius is, is also, but it's, it's kind of an, an add-on for Luke. And we're going to look at, we're going to look at Cornelius um, next week. But in a rather really unexpected, miraculous chain of events, um, Luke is telling his audience that while the evil one is incredibly unimaginative in the way he fights the spirit of Christianity, um, the Holy Spirit is incredibly imaginative, always doing something amazing, new, and like kind of out of this world and surprising and uh, many times, well, just stranger than fiction. Um, and especially this time with a guy named Saul, nothing short of a miracle that this guy would find Jesus, as we're going to find out. So we're introduced to Paul or Saul um, at the close of chapter 7 in Acts. Um, and you see this picture here. He's the guy on his knees who's about to personally meet Jesus. Um, and the guy on the right standing there, you know, that's Saul. Um, so we're introduced to uh, Saul by way of the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr um, in the Bible. So the warnings of the, the, the religious authorities were, were finally carried out, like in this incredible wave of bloodshed. And it all started one afternoon when this guy named Stephen was out there street preaching and people were gathering, and the religious authorities were, were getting a little bit, bit upset. Um, and they haul him before the Sanhedrin, the official court of the Jewish people, um, because they had found some witnesses to falsely claim that he was blaspheming the temple and the law. And as you can see in this picture here, they take that very, 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 very seriously. Uh, the temple and the law. Uh, for, for the Jewish people, these are the two things that you don't, you don't touch. You don't talk about them in a, in a disrespectful manner. Um, you say only good things about them. And if you dare speak against them in any way, we're talking the death penalty, right? They took these two very, 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 very seriously. The temple, start with the temple, right? This is the, the holy place, right? God's presence on earth. God's house, Um, Jesus said that he would replace the temple. Now, listen very carefully. Replace the temple. And from here on out, God's meeting place with his people wouldn't be a temple. God's meeting place with his people would be Jesus. That's amazing. His his meeting place would would be Jesus. And then the law, right? The revelation of God's mind and God's will, um, God's holy word, right? Holy, holy scripture. Jesus said that he would fulfill the law, right? So he would replace the temple and fulfill the law. Keep those words in mind, those verbs there. And on the cross, Jesus does exactly that. He fulfills all the priesthood duties and the, the sacrificial responsibilities. Bam, right there on the cross. But to speak against either was to blaspheme, Bad, bad stuff. I mean, that's just bad juju. But listen carefully to the way they they frame the charges. This is important. This is Acts chapter 6, verse 13. They produce false witnesses who testify this fellow never stops talking about this holy place, temple, and against the law, right? Temple and law. Keep reading, verse 14. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, the temple. That's not what Jesus said, right? 
He would replace this thing called the temple, not destroy it, and change the customs of Moses, which was, is the law. And Jesus wasn't going to change. What, what did he say? I'm not going to change one jot or one tittle of the law. And don't you dare either. That's not why I came. So these, these guys are lying. They're, they're, they're lying, right? You, you get that. And again, notice the negative destructive terms. But here's what we understand. Um, Jesus never claimed, and nor did Stephen, that, jo- that Jesus was going to destroy the temple or the law, right? He was going to replace the temple and fulfill the law. And really, by affirming that both point to him, Stephen and, and Jesus before him were actually saying, they were actually magnifying the temple and the law because they both pointed to him. He, they, they, he wasn't Stephen, Jesus. They weren't denigrating. They weren't putting down the law. They weren't making it less. They were actually elevating it. Um, but more importantly for Luke, this is, this is actually crucial here. The Spirit of God in, the, in this act here, the Spirit of God had been set free from the religious control of the Jewish authorities. See, if you can control the temple and if you can control the law, you've effectively controlled God and access to God. And that's what the Jewish authorities had. And this Jesus guy was blowing their control, right? just, just wrecking everything. So Stephen explains all this and he concludes in verse 51 and 52. Chapter 7 says, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and your ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? Prosecute? Persecute. Sorry. They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through angels. That was kind of their understanding of how the law was given angels on Mount Sinai. Um, But you haven't obeyed it. Now, notice what has happened here. The council accused Stephen of violating the law, and Stephen has turned the tables on them and said, no, I haven't violated anything. You're, in fact, violating the very laws that you're accusing me of. You're violating temple and the law. So they they (laughs) respond rather predictively. Predictively, uh, verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious, and they gnashed their teeth at him. You ever have anybody gnash their teeth at you? Like every once in a while, I'll do something stupid around the house, and I'll see my wife's jawline set. That's gnashing of teeth, right? You know you've done something stupid when, like, you can see the muscles start twitching, right? Because that's, that's gnashing. It's not like they went, okay? Um, and you'll notice in Scripture, too, whenever anybody has, is gnashing their teeth, it's always, always the wicked people gnashing their teeth to the righteous people. Right? It's almost like this anger that, 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 that we've done something right, that the godly people have done something right, and then they look at themselves and they're like, ugh, I don't like myself anymore. And anyway, 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 verse 55, 56. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. Now, Take away the word standing. I've highlighted a couple times there for a reason. And already the, the, the councils, they're, they're flipping out. Everything that Stephen accused them of, you don't accuse them of that. You, you just don't do that. And if you do, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in big trouble. But a lot of commentators have wondered, right? We, we all know this, that when Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, what does he do at the right hand of the Father? He doesn't stand. He what? He sits. And that signifies that his work has been finished. It's been completed. He can now rest. Not like, boy, I'm tired, but he he has no more work to do. He's done his thing. And so he sits. So why? Read a lot of of options, and there's a lot of crazy, crazy options, but the one that I think made the most sense 
Stephen had been confessing Christ before men. And now Jesus rises to honor Stephen as he enters into his presence. I like that. The passage continues, verse 57 and 58. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to, to, begin to stone him. Let me explain stoning very quickly. It has nothing to do with marijuana. Um, they would take you, and if you see pictures, they're usually next to a wall. And the idea was the accuser had to take the person with the authorities to the top of a high wall and shove them. And if he's dead, by the fall, good and fine. And if he's not, you throw rocks until he is dead. It was just a brutal, brutal punishment. Um, verse 57, excuse me, 58 and 59. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And this is where we're, we're introduced to Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So when we combine the information from Acts and we get the information from all the letters of Paul, we find out that Paul, Saul, um, was an incredibly high-ranking official, a, a Pharisee, um, of the tribe of this, of the level of that, and he just kind of goes on through this list in one of his letters, and like he is, he's a Hebrew of Hebrews, right, all the way top to bottom. Um, and he's overseeing the death sentence of Stephen. We saw him in that picture and then in what appears to be, what appears to be like a decisive blow by Satan. It's like, oh, man, Satan won, right? To instill enough fear to shut the disciples up, right? It, in what appears to be, ah, Satan's finally going to, he's going to win on this one. Um, Satan oversteps himself. And I, I, it's the only way I heard one writer say it. He, he overstepped himself. He, he was really like, oh, I'm going to, Stephen, oh, I'm going I'm to have him killed and everybody's going to stop and run away. But Stephen didn't play the game the way Satan was planning. Um, a seed is planted in a very, very, very hard heart. The man standing there watching Saul, this is what he heard Stephen say. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he, he fell asleep, a euphorism for dying. Again, lots of written, lots of, lots has been written about just how much this affected the young Saul, right, to see and witness this kind of grace and love and forgiveness that, that Saul might not have found in Judaism. I've got to say that very carefully. Um, that's the only conclusion we can come to. At any rate, as a still young man full of anger and resentment, right, Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, I want you to kind of keep in the back of your minds the Great Commission issued by Jesus, right, before his ascension, that they would be his witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Luke is trying to draw this out for us. He's showing how this happens, how it happens in, against all odds, all odds. I mean, this should never have happened, and yet... Because God was behind it and because his spirit was behind it, it, it happened. It happened. So don't lose faith. When, you, when you're looking at somebody, mm, don't, don't lose faith. Um, uh, chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so it appears to be a, yet another decisive blow by Satan, right? Killing Stephen first and then killing a whole bunch of other people, you know, through Saul. 
the Holy Spirit had other ideas. The Holy Spirit never stops. Watch this. Acts 8, verses 4 and 5, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So Satan was thinking, oh, I'm going to kill this guy, and they're all going to go into hiding. And, and what happens is Satan kills this guy, and they all, they go out and tell everybody. It's like, Satan's like, oh, that's not, that, that wasn't the plan. That's not what I wanted. Um, and then attached to this verse, super important, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. A little background. I know you guys have heard this. Um, I want to tell you the, kind of a, a more complete story. The, the, the Samaritans, right? This is a thousand-year-old hatred between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, the Jewish people of, of the southern nation of Judah and the people who eventually populate what was once the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, it started with the breakup of the kingdom 900, 950 years before um, Christ, uh, King Solomon building the temple and wasn't, didn't act nice to the northern nations, so they all revolted. Um, they broke away, and they made Samaria their capital. So already, the, you know, they're, they're starting to, like, break apart here. And then on top of that, the northern nation of Israel and Samaria are taken captive by the Assyrians about 200 years after the split up of the, of the kingdom, 722 B.C. Um, taken away to Assyria, and then thousands are deported, and the Assyrians bring in a whole bunch of foreigners and pop, repopulate the area, right, live in the houses that have been built by the Jewish people. Then, then Samaria's help is rejected. The southern nation, about 150 years after the northern nation gets taken into captivity by Assyria, the southern nation gets taken into captivity um, by Babylon, uh, 586, 587, right in there. And they're there for 70 years. And when they come back, they're rebuilding their city. The Samaritans say, hey, we can help. We'll help. And what do the Jews say? We don't need your help because you're not pure blood. You intermarried. You blah, 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 blah. Then eventually the, the, the Samaritans just say, fine, and they built a rival temple at Mount Gerizim and claimed it as the holy mountain God. You remember the story of the Samaritan woman and Jesus, and she's like, well, my ancestors worship where? At Mount Gerizim, and you're the people, they, they worship at Mount Moriah and Zion, and, and Jesus like, I'm here now. Those two mountains, I'm here now, right? So, there you go from that background. Now, so, so no love lost between these two people whatsoever. Verse 6 and 7. When the crowds heard Philip and they saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with sheik, shrieks, <laughs> impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And again, the predictable results in verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. So what happens is Peter and John, they hear about the Samaritan situation. It's like, wait a minute. Not pure-blooded Jews getting blessed. Whoa. So they, they travel up to Samaria. They check out the situation. They find out, lo and behold, that Jesus has, in fact, extended his blessings to even the Samaritans. Right? So they like, okay, I guess God's behind this. And they wisely stay. And in verse 25, it says this. Um, after they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John, who had stayed in Jerusalem, who did not really, who were very, very Jewish of Jewish of Jewish, returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. I right, said so they finally got it, and it took Philip 
Like we, we've got a younger daughter and our older daughter, our, our older daughter was always kind of nervous about doing stuff. Our younger daughter has no fear in the world. And as they were, when they were really young, we'd ask our older daughter to do something. She'd, no, I'm too afraid. So I'll do it. And, and man, like, oh, no. And then she'd go do it, right? Because she could not stand to have. Well, this is kind of what happened here. Peter and John, all right, they're looking at Philip and like, guy, he's not even an apostle. <laughs> But he shamed us, right? He, what he did was right, and we've been wrong. So they, they go and preach in Samaritan villages. And, and it's on a parallel. Let me, let me. It's on a parallel. Somebody would ask you if you were a staunch, hardcore Republican to go preach in a Democratic village. Or if you were a hardcore Democrat, go, go preach in a Republican village. Or maybe if you were a police officer, go preach in a village where everyone wears Black Lives Matter t-shirts. Or if you were a a black American, go, go to a city where everyone is a police officer and wear your Black Lives Matter shirt and preach to that crowd. This passage is challenging us. Go to a village filled with people with gender fluidity. Go preach in a village down at the border. We've all got in our minds, I'll never go preach in that village. When I was in Romania, I've shared this before. Talk about a thousand-year-old hatred. You read the New Testament. They love the New Testament. And yet when you talk about the Roma or the gypsies, they literally will say, oh, no, the Bible doesn't ask us to love them. They're like the Samaritans. Doesn't count. But Luke and the Holy Spirit aren't finished with Philip because Philip for, for Luke is that crucial link between Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Listen to this. Chapter... 8 still, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. If you know your maps, Samaria is up above Jerusalem, Gaza is down below, Samaria, Judea. So now we got Philip covering Samaria, Judea, and Samaria from the Great Commission. Um, Samaria has been addressed, and now the rest of Judea, verse 27. So he started out, and on his way, he met a eunuch, a Uthi a Uthi an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. And again, it isn't enough for the Holy Spirit to want to enter the land of the hated Samaritans, right? The Holy Spirit also wanted to enter the continent of Africa. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. So the Holy Spirit says, hey, Philip, run alongside behind that, beside that chariot. Check out what he's reading. Oh, he's reading the Bible. Oh, that's cool. Now tell him what it's about because he doesn't know what he's, what, what he's reading. So, you know, Philip jumps and explains Jesus by way of the Old Testament. Long story short, the gospel enters the continent of Africa at the very highest level through this Ethiopian eunuch. So, so we have first Stephen, forever known as the first Christian, you know, martyred for the faith, right? His teachings and his death. Satan thought he, 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 he'd gotten it, right? Stephen starts talking and just kill him. Right, cut off the head, the body dies. But through his teaching, right, the temple and the law followed the Holy Spirit-filled followers, and through his death, right, it scattered all of the followers. And then Philip, right, he, he, he preaches to the sort of Jewish Samaritans and a sort of Jewish Ethiopian. He was what's called a God-fearer, right? He wasn't Jewish by blood, but he had agreed to the faith. He might not have been circumcised, but, but he was fully involved in the faith to the degree that he was willing um, but again, Luke doesn't focus on Stephen being the first Christian martyr. It's like he doesn't even mention that. Luke's whole focus 
is on the fact that the gospel is spreading in amazing, miraculous ways and into crowds and audiences and villages that no one thought it possible. Jesus could never reach them. Never. Not happen. So we're going to circle back now, circling back around to that third man in Luke's quartet of heroes of the faith. Remember, uh, we're looking at... um, Saul and Stephen and Philip, and next week we're going to look at Judas or Cornelius. Acts 9, verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Verse 2, He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So he's not happy with killing the believers in Jerusalem. He's now going to travel to a really big city with a huge Jewish population. He's going to kill all the Christians there too. So, he, he, so that if he found any there would, that belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem, right? Can you say Happy Mother's Day? <laughs> right? It's like, oh, yeah, Saul's my son. Now, now, if you're a Jewish mother, you're like, that's my boy, right? That's my boy. He's taking care of all these people who are attacking the, the temple and, you know, the law. Little known fact, um, more than likely Paul's mother rejected him. A lot of research, to be a Pharisee, you needed to be married. So more than likely, Paul was married. And according to Jewish tradition, he had it all. He had it all. And when he became a Christian, his whole family left him. Wife, kids, you're one of them. Nope. Nope. Paul paid the price. Like with these guys. (laughs) Not many people, maybe mom, maybe mom, but not many people had any faith that any of these guys or a guy like Saul, right, could have faith in Jesus. But stranger than fiction, right? Verse 3 and 4, as he neared Damascus on his journey, Saul, the Christian killer, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Now, he's not calling him Lord and Savior. He's calling him person greater than me. Don't, don't be confused here. The response, I'm Jesus whom you have persecuted. And he replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. So God pricks Saul's hard heart in a rather dramatic way. But here's the kicker. God still needs some hands and feet. God still needs some hands and feet to complete the task of reconciling Saul with his heavenly father. Right? And we all, we all know how nervous and apprehensive, you know, our hands and our feet and our, our mouth and our brains get, right, when we think about sharing Jesus with anyone and let alone a scary person like somebody who could kill you or hurt you, right? Um, so God goes looking for some Christian hands and feet and a mouth and a brain to help Saul, the murderer of Christians. Verse 10, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. Lord, so go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in the vision, he has, a, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. But y'all know how Ananias responded. He responded the same way we all respond. Whoa, 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 time out, Lord. Do you even know what you're asking? Have you seen this guy? He says this, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. He's saying it really, really nice, but really he's just saying, Lord, are you crazy? Right? He's being super diplomatic because you need to do that when you're talking to God. Right? And, and he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on his name, who call on your name. He's talking to Jesus. 
But the Lord said to Ananias, go. <laughs> this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So it's almost, it's almost like God says, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha, you, Ananias. I know what you're worried about. I got it. Don't worry about it. And the fact of the matter is, we all know lots of Saul's of Tarsus, don't we? Right? Loaded with gifts and talents and, and intellect and character and personality and passion and energy and drive and ambition, and, but seriously misguided. Right? You know people like that. And you think, wow, what if Christ got a hold of that life? <sighs> kind of what happened here. What if Christ got a hold of a life like Saul? Right? As a Jewish, he was like, wah. And now as a Christian, he's like, double wah. Right? And maybe you know some people like that, and they're just right now, they're a little, just a little bit misguided, um, stubborn, even violently opposed to Christianity. But this person that you're thinking about, they're, they're not beyond the grace of God. We just need a little bit more faith, maybe some holy expectation, and some more prayer. Right? I told you, my office in my house looks out on our street, and I always see Riker and Ryland and Logan, and on my Bible, I got their names written. So every time I see them, I pray for them. And I pray for Jacob and Ashley, mom and dad, they're having difficulties. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? You thought, no, I don't need to pray for them. But when we respond correctly, highly predictable results, verse 31, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So four heroes of the faith, Stephen, Philip, Saul or Paul, and next week Cornelius. And he uses all four men in their stories to tell us an important truth, I think, that we have a task, we have a mission given to us by our Savior and King. And when this, this whole COVID thing blows over, I think when we look at this passage, we've got to conclude that we cannot ever go back to business as usual, whatever that was. I think God has almost like gave us a time out, rethink. Let's think about what have you been doing and, and maybe what might you change because you have an opportunity now to do something radically different that maybe the Holy Spirit has been knocking for a little while now. We want to believe that all of our neighbors are saved or beyond saving, but that's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. Hit that last slide there. I just kind of want to have these faces in front of you. I have a couple friends. First one I want to tell you about is a guy named Joel. I was volleyball coach at Cal Maritime Academy in California, and I had a setter. <clears throat> We'd go on the, the road trips you know, up and down the West Coast, and this guy was foul. He was the foulest mouth, the foulest jokes, the whole nine yards. I never shared Jesus with them. They all knew I was a Christian. So I'm at a National Youth Workers Convention 10 years down the road. Who do I see? My old setter. He's a youth pastor now, and he's got a whole bunch of youth with him. He, he met Jesus. Somebody got the opportunity and the blessing to tell Joel about Jesus, and I, I missed it. I missed it. I didn't have courage. I didn't believe what the Holy Spirit could do. A couple guys from college, Chris Dermon-Wayon and David Young. Chris was a brilliant lawyer, got offices in San Francisco, 
very adamantly atheist. I find out he, years later that he, he had a son and his son died. I, I didn't even know. In talking with him later, he said a pastor came in and asked if he could pray for him, and Chris cussed at him and said, just do whatever you want. And, and I don't know who this pastor was, But he got the opportunity to change Chris's life. And Chris found Jesus. I never would have thought that. And the last guy, David Young, went to high school with him. Hung out, would see him at the beach all the time. And he was like the party guy of Orange Glen High School. Right? If he had a party, you, you went. He ends up going to Point Loma. And I'm thinking, ah, that was a mismatch. <laughs> I end up being his roommate. It's like, whoa, Lord, what are you thinking? What are you up to? So he ends up graduating. He goes on. Lo and behold, I never shared Jesus with him. Point Loma, somebody <laughs> should have. Maybe they did. I don't know. But he eventually finds Jesus. And he's super smart, super energetic. And he's like all over Facebook, all over telling people about Jesus. I, I didn't, I didn't. I want to challenge you guys. Don't let someone else be that special blessing in somebody's life. If you're looking at somebody... And you're thinking humanly possible? Nope. Spirit possible? Absolutely. Speak to them. Pray about it. Pray about it. Be tentative. Be sensitive to Holy Spirit. Say something. Say anything. Bow your heads. Father, boy, there's so many people we know that only, only a mother could love. And Father, this morning, give us that kind of love that mothers have. They can love some of these people. Wow. Father, give us a mother's heart this morning. I think in my world, the most, the heart that most resembles yours, Father, is, is a mother's heart. So, Father, give us that heart this morning for our neighbors. Thank you for these examples in Scripture. That you're, you're always on the move. You're always out in front of our efforts but you always need hands and feet and mouths and brains to follow up. Father, that we would be that blessing in somebody's life. So we thank you for every person that the people listening to my voice are now going to speak to. Father, bless those conversations. You've already been working on it. You've been working behind the scenes. We know this. And so, Father, help the people of Rich and Church of Nazarene close Bring that relationship back together between them and their Father in heaven. Again, thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.